Welcome to the Mouthy IP Podcast, where we discuss infection prevention for the busy dental profession. The Mouthy IP Podcast is created by Nebraska ICAP, Infection Control Assessment and Promotion Program, and is funded by the Nebraska DHHS HAI team via a CDC grant. Each podcast features experts discussing current infection prevention topics and answers to questions asked by dental professionals from Nebraska. Hi, welcome to today's edition of the Mouthy IP. So today we have some experts from our ICAP office. Uh, Each will introduce themselves. Hi, everyone. My name is Sarah Stream. I am an infection preventionist for the ICAP team, and I specialize in dentistry. Hello, everyone. My name is Richard Hankins. I'm an infectious disease physician at UNMC, specializing in infection control. Hello, everyone. My name is Kate Tyner. I'm a nurse and infection preventionist in the ICAP office. And my name is Dan German. I have the honor of hosting today's podcast. So, We received an interesting question this week from a dental practitioner, and we'll we'll play this recording, but but know that we did ask for permission uh, to use this question, and they gladly accepted because we are able to provide them with some great information. Hi, ICAP. I'm hoping you can help answer a question. Our dental practice is currently using a standard PPE ensemble that includes an N95 respirator with a surgical mask on top of it. We also use a standard face shield. This seems kind of like an overkill, is it? All right, so this is a really great great question that came in. And not only is the practice of wearing a surgical mask over your respirator um, not approved, but it is definitely overkill as far as PPE is concerned. You want to make sure you're using that NIOSH approved respirator as it is, uh, as the manufacturer instructions tell you to. So Sarah, I just heard you say NIOSH. Can you tell us what NIOSH is? Sure. So NIOSH is a part of the Occupational Safety and Health Act, OSHA, as everybody knows it. And it is the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health. And they do testing on our PPE and give us some standards to follow as far as PPE use. So was the practice of using the respirator with the surgical mask over it, was that ever approved by NIOSH? Uh, That practice was not ever approved by NIOSH for conventional use, but with the pandemic and some of our emergency use strategies, that has become a common practice in dentistry. If it wasn't approved, why was anybody doing it? So with the pandemic, um, we didn't have a sufficient supply of the N95 respirators that would allow each of us to use that as a single use respirator. So at the beginning of the pandemic, the manufacturers had a lot of trouble getting the raw materials that they needed to make those respirators. And the respirators that they did have were allocated to some of those major hospital systems to treat COVID-19 patients. And that left dentistry uh, behind as far as supply of those N95 respirators. But we were told in the dental industry that we needed to be using them to protect ourselves and our employees. So in order to make those supplies last, practitioners used that surgical mask over their respirator 
to protect those respirators from splash and splatter with the idea that they could extend that use. And those respirators that we've been using are not fluid resistant. So if you're going to extend use beyond one patient encounter, you need to make sure you're protecting it from splash and splatter to maintain its effectiveness. Sarah, could you and Kate describe what extended uses versus reuse of respirators? Um, what the difference is, and honestly, should we be doing either of them at this moment in time? Sure. So when we talk about PPE use, there are really three different tiers that we need to highlight. Um, you can use conventional use, contingency use, and crisis use. So conventional use is what we've been doing um, in dentistry pre-pandemic. So this would be uh, using our single-use items for a single patient encounter, and they are truly single use. They're donned for that single patient and doffed and discarded after that patient leaves. So the next tier is contingency capacity. So that means there's an anticipated supply shortage of a certain type of PPE. And when we practice contingency capacity, we want to make sure we're saving the supply we have by extending the use of that PPE. And that extended use can be wearing that respirator for more than one patient encounter and covering it to prevent the splash and splatter from affecting its uh, respirator efficacy. And we can then continue to be protected through those multiple patient encounters. It's important to remember that this is not an ideal practice and should only happen if that supply is anticipated to be lacking in the future. The most extreme form of PPE use is crisis capacity. So crisis capacity means that the supply shortage is happening right now, and we only have a limited number of respirators for our staff to wear. And this is what happened in dentistry at the beginning of the pandemic. So when we're practicing with crisis capacity, Extended use from contingency capacity can be combined with what we call a limited reuse. And limited reuse of respirators includes doffing a used respirator and storing it appropriately for disinfection before redonning it for another patient encounter. A lot of dental offices were practicing crisis capacity by storing their used respirators in a paper bag for five days before reusing them for another shift. And we practiced this throughout the pandemic in dentistry. Crisis capacity should only be practiced in those emergency situations, such as that shortage that we experienced. So I think you did a great job with that, Sarah. One thing I would add and just draw attention to some of the terms that you were saying that we wanna make sure that the listeners on the podcast totally understand. And that is that the practice of extended use is very different than reuse. So they sound similar, but they're actually not. When we talk about extended use, we're talking about donning the respirator one time and leaving it on uh, for multiple patient encounters, right? And so when we think about a respirator, I want the audience to remember that the, the respirator itself, it can be stretched out every time you put it on and take it off. And so when you do an extended use, that's a little safer than reuse, because once you have it in place and you do your seal check, you're not messing with the respirator anymore. You're not touching it and getting it contaminated and you're not affecting the fit by taking it on and off. And so extended use, such as wearing it from the beginning of the day till lunchtime is a safer practice than taking one respirator on and off multiple times 
stretching it out and contaminating in the process. And just to be clear, that contingency capacity is where you would wear it for a longer amount of time. That's really where we're at now is we're trying to make sure we have enough PPE to meet the increased demand because we're still seeing patients with COVID that extended capacity or extended use is better than trying to save a respirator um, and maybe wear it three or four different times during the day even than just keeping it on for a morning shift. Okay, just to clarify, would you say at this moment in time, we are no longer reusing, but we are still doing extended use? Yes, you're absolutely right, Dr. Hankins. That's what we're recommending. And I think for the audience, it's important to say at the time that we recorded this um, in the middle of June, June 21st. And so at that time, we had sufficient respirators that people should have enough respirators to be able to extend use um, and stop reusing. Yeah, and in fact, uh, the FDA has just come out with some guidance that says they want us to start to steer back to our uh, conventional use. So as we start to do that and our supply chain normalizes even more, we'll want to eventually stop doing that extended use and get back to a respirator being used for a single patient encounter and then doffed and discarded before our next patient encounter. Makes sense. So it goes without saying, uh, Sarah, N95 respirators are expensive. Um, do you think that there'll be challenges with the people who are paying for the PPE, usually the doctors and the practices, that the doctors would challenge this practice of using more N95 respirators? They are. Respirators are very expensive. And um, with the supply chain like it has been, the cost of them has actually risen quite a bit over the pandemic. And as that supply chain continues to normalize, those costs will start to go back down. So that will be less of a burden as far as PPE is concerned. But I think that employers need to remember that the OSHA expectation is that you have to provide PPE for your employees, regardless of what it costs, you have to protect them. Right now, OSHA is saying that we need to use those respirators for all aerosol generating procedures. And the safest use for those respirators is that single patient encounter. And that will depend on what your supply chain looks like in an individual facility. Hey, I'm not sure if this helps or not, but our neighborhood has been having garage sales lately. And I could have swore that I saw a case of those N95s on one of those houses. <laughs> so if you want me to uh, reach back out, out to them and, and see, I could probably get a discount. <laughs> Did you say KN95, Stan, or N95s? You know, I wasn't really paying that close of attention. So uh, they, if they have one, question. they probably have another. So That brings up a really great point, Dan. There are counterfeit respirators out there right now. So, you know, if you're going to find some respirators from a source you don't normally work with, it is worth doing your research and um, making sure that they are legit respirators because there are counterfeits right now. You know, now that you mention it, they may have been like T95s or, you know, something like that. So you're, you're probably right. <laughs> so there are some other strategies for um, helping with the cost of that. I think it's understandable that all practices are coming to the point where they're trying to right size their PPE use with what's required and what's right and good. And so um, Sarah has some good ideas for how to work through that. But I would say that it's also 
um, in Nebraska, where we're broadcasting from, um, the Department of Health and Human Services has been supporting facilities with their PPE needs since the beginning of the pandemic. And those resources continue to exist, at least at the time of our recording. And so as a practice was looking at right-sizing their PPE um, use, that would be something to kind of help um, uh, beef up your supply in a practice, especially if it's something that you need to ask for um, a supplemental amount of PPE while you work with your general supplier. Um, and with that, you could call ICAP or um, work through the website and we could connect you with those resources. Yeah, those resources are a really great way to help identify your PPE needs and get what you need for your staff. Um, another really great resource that a lot of practices should be using is the CDC burn rate calculator. So you can determine what your PPE burn rate is, and then that will help you determine how, how much supply you need to order. Um, as you work through that burn rate calculator, it's also really important for your facility to have um, its own policy defining what an aerosol generating procedure is for your staff and do that risk assessment for the respiratory protection plan to determine who in your facility would be needing to wear those respirators for those aerosol generating procedures. You know, you don't have to have everybody in your office fit tested for a respirator. We don't need the front desk fit tested. We don't need a financial coordinator fit tested. You can narrow down who needs to be wearing those respirators and that can also you know, save you some of those unnecessary supply costs. I just want to take a time out and go back to one of the things that Dan mentioned. So as Dan said, he was looking at this garage sale. He mentioned seeing N95s, KN95s. He wasn't necessarily sure what it was. But we mentioned both. And so what are we supposed to do with KN95s at this point? I know that a lot of people have them, um, but are we still utilizing them? Should we be utilizing them? A lot of people do have a really big stockpile of KN95s and, um, you know, it's really frustrating for small business owners to have invested in that. And now you just have a stockpile sitting around. So, um, you know, the FDA, as we talked about before, was um, they have come out and said that we need to move away from our crisis capacity and we also need to stop using those KN95s because they're not true NIOSH approved. They were approved for emergency use for the pandemic. And those respirators are not tested in the United States for efficacy. So we can't really be sure of their efficacy when we're using them for as a respirator. Um, a good rule of thumb for that is a KN95 can be as effective as a level three surgical mask. So you can wear those KN95s that you have just as you would a level three surgical mask for your procedures. So that's really helpful, Sarah. And I think you brought up a lot of really great points. And I think that there are people in the practice who will understand the difference between a KN95 and N95 and a level three surgical mask. But in my time on the road doing infection prevention in lots and lots of facilities, it's become very clear that not everybody in every practice understands those kind of differences. And so I often talk to facilities about how do we make it easiest to do the right thing. And so when you think about just what you said, 
your financial counselors, maybe your front desk staff, maybe those are people who do not need to wear an N95 at all. But how can we put the proper PPE together so that those people who do do the aerosol generating procedure, how do they go and get their PPE? And it might be as simple as putting the procedure supplies for an aerosol generating procedure into one place, one part of the supply closet, one tote, et cetera, that it's very easy to see a piece of paper on there that says for aerosol generating procedures, these are the respirators to use, or, and then put your other supplies into another place. Because we have to engineer the process so that the person with the least experience in the office can do the right thing. And so I think it's really important that you have a practical workflow in your facility of how to make it the easiest thing to do the right thing. Um, and so just like you're saying, you would probably do education with those people who do the aerosol generating procedure. You would make sure they know where to find the PPE. But again, when you consider like the JV team who's there on a Saturday afternoon, something like that, how will they find the procedure supplies that they need to do that aerosol generating procedure? Those are some great tips. We talked a little bit about uh, different types of masks, how we're utilizing the masks, but we haven't necessarily touched on the double mask, uh, which I think was the like the driving force behind the initial call. And so um, looking at what if someone's using a surgical level three mask along with an N95, both of which are recommended, um, but together, what, what are y'all's thoughts on that? Sure. So the double masking, the practitioners that have been doing that have been using that as a, a droplet shield over their respirator. So they put that level three mask on because those respirators aren't fluid resistant to help extend that use. But when we talk about um, the efficacy of that, really more isn't better when it comes to PPE like this. So Double masking with a surgical mask over your respirator doesn't improve the fit of your N95. It doesn't improve that seal at all. And it actually may impact your respirator fit. So um, if you have you know, something that impacts the respirator fit, that can cause failure. And you're actually, you know, your respirator is doing you no good. It's not protecting you at all. So really the only benefit to double masking would be to um, use it as that droplet protection. So I think when we're talking about being sensitive to cost as well, Sarah, it makes a lot of sense. It is a better uh, solution to get away from using two types of PPE at once. A, it's not effective. B, it's not very comfortable. C, it's expensive. And so we would say instead of using that single use level three mask over the N95, a lot of people would usually be wearing a face shield. What's your opinion of wearing a reusable face shield like the transparent plastic type over an N95? The face shields over an N95 are acting as that droplet protection. So, you know, they would essentially replace that level three surgical mask that you're wearing over your respirator. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of practices that are doing all of the above. They have the respirator and the level three surgical mask and eyewear and a face shield. And really that's all of it together it is unnecessary. Um, you know, the ideal PPE for an aerosol generating procedure is your fit tested NIOSH approved respirator with that face shield over it to act as droplet protection. 
That's helpful. And I think it's, it doesn't, it goes without saying that when people are uncomfortable in their PPE, they're way less likely to be compliant. And so I love what you're saying, Sarah, that a face shield, a fit tested N95 respirator, that's the right recipe. More is not better. Right. Sarah, and could someone use eye protection that's not a face shield in place of the face shield? So like a N95 plus goggles of some sort. Absolutely, you could. Um, the only issue with that would be um, because those respirators are uh, not fluid resistant. Fluid resistant. Um, we would want to make sure that you're only using those respirators for a single patient encounter. Because as soon as you get a droplet on there, that opens up the respirator for those microorganisms to be able to filter through there and you're not protected anymore. So if you have the supply to use respirators for a single patient encounter, then yes, you can get rid of the face shield, wear the safety glasses, and that NIOSH approved fit tested respirator for a single patient encounter. So give us an example and put you on the spot, Sarah, something that we know to be an aerosol generating procedure in dentistry, something that's well established as an aerosol generating procedure. Sure. So like a restorative procedure of a filling, anytime you would use a high-speed handpiece, it generates aerosols. So in that case, say you have, you know, an eight o'clock patient coming in for that restorative procedure in a perfect world under conventional use, which is what FDA and CDC has really tried to get us back to for that restorative procedure. Instead of wearing a level three, when that patient comes in, you would clean your hands, put on the N95, Choose your eye protection or face shield, whichever you prefer. Put on your gown and gloves, and you would begin the procedure. After that procedure is completed, you would take off the PPE, including the respirator, and the respirator goes in the trash. Correct? Yes, that is correct. Okay. And that's where it, it is. It becomes really important to identify what those aerosol generating procedures are in your office because some things. Um, could be considered an aerosol generating procedure and some things aren't. And that you can get a lot of uh, personal interpretation of what those are, depending on what your office does. And so if somebody was having trouble with that, or if they were having trouble figuring out how to do the burn rate, um, couldn't they call ICAP? Couldn't they call and talk to Sarah Stream who has experience in the dental realm and be talked through that? They absolutely could. We have uh, an awesome hotline. Um, it is 402-552-2881. You can call in and leave a message and I will call you back or shoot you an email or, you know, whatever you need to help identify those aerosol generating procedures and walk you through what the recommended PPE would be for those. Boy, I have to be honest, uh, you know, I've uh, gone to the dentist for a very, very long time, and I really never gave a whole lot of thought into uh, me being protected uh, from airborne illnesses and the like after I visited. Uh, but I do have a dentist appointment coming up, and I, I'm going to be way more cognizant of how they're approaching me in the chair and how they're protecting me uh, so that I don't get the next norovirus or flu or cold or any other kind of infectious disease. 
Dr. Hankins, you just had a dental appointment, didn't you? I did. I did. And I have to say, as Dan was saying that, I had the exact same thoughts. I was thinking, you know, um, I I haven't been um, doing a lot of infection control work in dentistry for long. And so this was the first dental visit I had since I started getting into infection control in dentistry. And so it is very interesting um, thinking about all those things uh, that um, Dan was mentioning. And so I, I think that a lot of the, the concepts of uh, respirators, aerosol generating procedures, infection control and dentistry isn't something that um, ha- there's been a lot of thought put into over a long period of time. There hasn't been a lot of guidelines. I feel like even in the early part of COVID, there wasn't a lot of guidelines coming out. And so I feel like this is where um, we've tried to fill that void of where we're not necessarily seeing a lot of guidelines from the CDC. And so we're here to help out with um, assisting dentist offices um, with interpreting the guidelines and applying them for for specific areas. I know that my dentist was uh, has been very uh, proactive in communicating with uh, the customers, at least he has, you know, for me, uh, they've they've sent emails and I know they've updated their website. And I know that because of uh, making my my latest appointment. And so given some of the, the information that they provided in the email, given the uh, information that they have on their website, I feel very confident that he's going to do an outstanding job and his staff's going to do an outstanding job because they've taken all of this uh, seriously. So uh, I'm Again, though, I'll be looking. I'll be looking a little bit more attentively here this next week, because Sarah, you'd mentioned earlier that you know uh, some of the the supply shortages and some of the other uh, uh, things that have gone on recently. That a lot of that is changing, and if it's changed, you know, two months ago, we should probably note that this podcast was recorded on June twenty first of uh, two thousand twenty one. So take that all into consideration as the environment changes and as all of the situations in the supply chain changes as well. Yeah, that's a really good point, Dan. You know, the, the guidance is constantly changing. And as it changes and they update it, we'll be releasing more episodes. So we could have an episode in the future on the newest guidance on respirator use for dental facilities. We'd be interested to hear from other people too, if there's topics they want to hear. We would love to have people give us a jingle on the hotline and set us up for the next question for the next podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And again, to emphasize the question that we did receive, we received permission to use that question and the individual's voice. Uh, Everything that uh, ICAP provides is confidential. Uh, and uh, know that, you know, it, we're here to help. So leave your questions, leave your information, and we'll be happy to reach back out to you. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on our first episode of the Mouthy IP. Thank you for spending time with us learning about infection prevention and control in the dental setting. If you have questions you would like the team to chat about, feel free to call our ICAP Infection Control Hotline at 402-552-2881 or visit our website at icap.nebraskamed.com. 
Look for our next Mouthy IP podcast episode, and don't forget to stay chatty about infection control in your office. 